Hello, No Code Nation. I'm Ayush, and you're listening to my No Code Story. And this is not your typical entrepreneurship podcast. Here, you get to listen to real people who are building cool stuff, all without writing a single line of code. This is the future of independent entrepreneurship, and you have a front row seat. If you have under 1,000 followers on Twitter, drop everything and listen to this episode. My guest on the show today is Blake Emmel, Chief Marketing Officer of Copy.ai, one of the hottest AI startups right now. He grew his Twitter following from 700 users to over 50,000 in less than a year. You heard that right. At last count, he has 50,800 followers. He has a stunning work rate. His latest tweet was an update after answering 1,000 direct messages. And today he shares his best secrets and top tips to grow a Twitter following. And why having a small follower count may not be so bad after all, while you're still figuring things out. Blake also shares his journey from SEO expert to chief marketing officer of copy and so much more. This is one not to miss. Here's my conversation with Blake Emmel. Hi, this is Blake Emmel and this is my no code story. Blake, thank you so much for for taking the time and jumping on the podcast today. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you more because probably because I've been in awe of the work rate that you guys at Copy are showing and the way you guys are building things in public. I've been following Paul for a while, but also was following when you came on board and have been really uh, following you for uh, the past several weeks in terms of how you've created you know, threads and added value and so on. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and thanks for the kind words. And I think it's well-deserved and the audience that we're trying to reach with the podcast is people that are new to the no-code space and that really want to learn more about people in, in, the, in the space, but also learn from use cases and learn from how people are going about their day-to-day using no-code tech. And some of the stuff that uh, your team puts out in terms of content, I think really speaks to entrepreneurs and their journey and so on. So what, what has your journey been like though? Walk us through how you got to this point in your career. Yeah, so my story is a little bit weird. When I was 19 years old, I, I decided I wanted to do a volunteer mission. And so I moved to France for two years and I did that. And I lived all over the south of France for two years. I forgot English basically, just immersed myself in French culture and it was amazing. Then I got back and I was 21. And all of the other people my age were kind of like finishing up college or getting close to that point. And I hadn't even started college yet. So I felt very behind. I had no skills. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I, I started college because I thought that that's what I you know, needed to do. And that was going to help me figure stuff out. It didn't really help me figure anything out. I was just taking classes because I thought I needed to do that. I, and I stumbled into an SEO job just because I spoke French. That was the only thing. I didn't know anything about the internet. I didn't know what SEO was. In the interview, they're like, cool, so what What are your thoughts on SEO? And I'm like, oh, it's uh, good. I, I don't know. I had to <laughs> fake my way through the whole thing. And But I spoke French, and so I, I was able to get onto a French, the French team at a small SEO firm here in Utah. And then just kind of started doing more and more of that. And actually, I didn't like marketing for several years. I didn't really want to do that as a career. But the more that I started developing my skill set, I realized I did like it. And there were a lot of things that I started leaning more into and expanding my skill set into ads and email and content creation and social media and all this different stuff. And 
there were so many different ways that I could take it. So I, I did grow quickly and got into agency life and all that stuff. Uh, worked at worked in house at a, a bigger company recently, and I've been creating content on social media for probably six or seven years now. And now it's working, so it looks cool now. But I, I've been putting a lot of work into this over a long period of time, and it's really led to a lot of opportunities. And not one of them being Copy AI. So that's where I'm at now. I've got a bunch of other stuff that I'm working on as well, but it's been a, a crazy journey so far. And I'm sure that that's not going to change. It'll probably be crazy from here on out. And you seem to enjoy it. I want to dig into many, uh, many pieces of that journey, but can we, can we start by having you say chief marketing officer in French? How do you say chief marketing officer in, in French? <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Executive de marketing. It's the, it's not really marketing is just marketing. There's the French people have a lot of Americanized words, so I, I don't know that that one. I never had to learn with SEO. There, there's all kinds of stuff where I, I was only doing SEO in French, and so that 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 lower level stuff, yeah. But then I never I never thought I'd get to this point. So and and the reason I brought it up really was because I, I think it's just so cool that you know with the background that you've had in SEO and and as you described it, not really enjoying marketing at the beginning right because I, I feel like i'm in a similar spot if i were to point at something and say this is an area that i really would prefer for someone else to take over it'd probably be marketing i think it, it's reflected in for example the amount of outreach that i've done even for this podcast uh, you know and some of the content is great but without you know marketing and attracting the right audience it starts to become meaningless so i'm starting to uh, come around to that fact and start to i'm starting to look at ways in which to to grow this but what has been the the main the main takeaway for you from a marketing standpoint from your experience like what's the one thing that you would say to someone that it that is in your shoes from i don't know 7 to 10 years back and doesn't really appreciate the value that marketing can add to a startup's ecosystem and what would you what would you advise them yeah i think it's really important to understand how crucial distribution is and that's not the sexiest topic and it's not the thing that gets prioritized but marketing is all about distribution of ideas and messaging and getting your right idea in front of the right person and when you're starting in marketing i felt like i was just checking off boxes and doing tasks and it was really just project management stuff. And I didn't like that about marketing, but when you start really getting a bit more innovative and learning more skills, becoming more comfortable with what you can and cannot do, then it opens you up to like really go outside the box. And I think that that's one thing that marketing really has going for it. Whereas with engineering, there are definitely ways you can be creative, but there are certain ways that things work with marketing there's not really a set in stone way that things work. It just either works or it doesn't, and it can be totally random and some things can go viral and some things can taint. I virtually know why it's, you know, sometimes you can measure that stuff, sometimes you can't, but I like that about marketing that there's so much room to try things out. And again, it, going back to this idea of distribution, that's what it's really all about. It, you can create ideas all day long. You can write things, you can make videos, you can promote, you can advertise. If it's not interesting and it's not distribu distributed, it doesn't get seen and it's worthless. 
Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And it's, it's really helpful when the laws of physics don't apply, right? Where in marketing, you can try something on a whim. And especially this day and age, you could really try something fairly quickly. And the feedback loop is, is pretty quick as well. Tell us a bit more about what some of those elements have been for you. I know content creation is a big aspect of you know what, what you're pursuing in terms of marketing, especially from a copy AI standpoint. It's been quite a lot in public. Uh, but what are some other aspects that that you focus on and is there is there a specific path that you would recommend someone start as part of their journey the the best path is it's not necessarily like you should do seo you should do paid ads you should start an email there's no right way to start in terms of an area the best way to start though is to have a side project usually in most cases for marketing or almost any other career if you are able to, if you say, okay, I want to try SEO out, for example, the best way to learn SEO is, yeah, you can work at an SEO company and that'll help accelerate you. But really the hands-on experience of starting your own website, learning all about the tags that you need to set up for your website, getting everything prepped, writing the content, optimizing the content and making stuff regularly, that's going to teach you way more about SEO in the long run than just working at an SEO job where you're doing this for other people because it creates, you have skin in the game, you actually care about the stuff that you're creating. That matters a lot. So with whatever path you wanna start out with in marketing, if you're just starting, doesn't really matter what you start with, just really matters that you kind of build something alongside to help you put in practice what you're actually learning in real time. That's something that I did a little bit, but wish I would have done more of upfront. It's just like have a guinea pig website that I, I'm always testing things on and implementing what I'm learning from work and, and from reading and all that stuff and just implement it into there. So that'd probably be my number one tip for that. Outside of that, just try a bunch of stuff until something lands. That's what I did. I started an SEO. I really liked a lot of it. There were some parts of it that I didn't like. It was a bit spammier back then. That's kind of changed a little bit since, but I, I just decided to move on to other things as well and keep working on SEO, but get better at ads and see if I like that. Turns out I didn't really like doing ads that much. And so I went from that to learning more about social media and content creation and email marketing and all that stuff and picked up little pieces that I like here and there. And now whenever I wanna start a new project, I pretty much know how to build it. I know how to market it and I can rely on past experiences. But the cool thing also is that it's not a template where I know I'll succeed. There's kind of some risk with everything. So even if I kind of know what to do across along the way, there's still a chance that what I might do will flop or be great. And and that's really exciting to me that it's not a guarantee that I'll fail or succeed every single time. I love how you embrace the lack of guarantees because a lot of time before starting a new project, we often get into this cause and effect loop. And what you're saying really is it's um, action is more valuable and taking the learnings from that and then moving on to the next thing and applying those learnings is what kind of gradually builds you towards, for example, where you are right now, where you're really pushing content out at a, a remarkable rate. And let's talk a little bit about that content though, because, and maybe before we get into the content, we could talk about Copy AI. How would you describe Copy AI to someone that's new to the space? It's a tool that helps you write more of what you're already writing. So if you're starting from scratch and you feel like you're not a great writer, this is a tool that uses artificial intelligence to take kind of where you're at in a simplified way and expand on that. If you're already a pretty good writer, it just helps you do more of what you're already really good at. So an example would be if you post a lot on Instagram 
and you need to write Instagram captions. That's that's some of the copy that you need to write on a regular basis. You could patch it into Copy AI and say, this is five words about what this post is about. This this post is about succulents in your house that look really nice as decoration. And then Copy AI will write the full Instagram caption for you. And then you can edit it from there and make it sound like yourself, or you can just directly take it. And so it's it's basically a tool that lets you give a simple input or an idea of something that you want to create, and it will help write more of that and give you a bunch of new ideas and brainstorm and content and all that good stuff. So it's it's really just a creative tool to help you generate more ideas and more content. And I really appreciate that description of it because you're focusing on specifically what someone could get out of the tool rather than focusing on what what the tool is built on or any of that stuff that people usually don't really care too much about. And there's certain audiences that care a lot about that stuff. But then also as you're uh, bringing this to audiences, what has sort of your learning curve been after you've joined Copy AI and maybe describe your journey joining Copy AI in the first place? Yeah, the learning curve has been huge. I don't know anything about AI or machine learning or natural language processing or anything like this. Like I had seen GPT-3 around on Twitter in certain examples where mm-hmm. it, it writes this text out of basically nothing. And I thought it was really cool, but I didn't understand how it worked at all and didn't pay much mind to it. And it's the, the learning curve has been definitely big and not only for the product, but I've never been a CMO before. So I'm basically learning on the fly what that really means. And I've never even worked for a startup before. So there's there are a lot of learnings every single day that I just have to constantly be in my notes writing stuff down, figuring out how do I make this into a process so that the next person can basically take this and, and run with it so they don't have to learn all this stuff like I did. That, that's been super valuable, but there's been a lot of learning and basically how this all came into, into fruition is I started getting active on Twitter around September of last year. Before that, I had like 700 followers and most of those were friends or robots probably. Uh, not real people. And I, I just never could crack Twitter. I, I couldn't figure out how this thing worked or anything, but I committed several times I'd committed to getting back into it. This time it finally stuck and I kept going through and uh, adding more content and trying to be as prolific in terms of quantity of content as I possibly could. And over time, my audience started growing little by little, then a lot by a lot. And that's usually how it works. It's a lot of work to, to get it to snowball. And around December, end of December, early January, I, I, w- I was just DMing with Paul. He reached out to me and I was just like, this looks super cool. And then we started talking about a, a potential position in marketing, the first, the first hire of the company and the first marketing hire. And it just seemed like a really cool idea and we started getting more into it. So this whole thing went in through DMs on Twitter, basically. We only met on Zoom like twice and didn't right. really have super formal interviews. Uh, then I did a project for them and, and was brought on as a CMO. So it was, it was a pretty quick thing. But before that, I had been working as a senior manager at a very big company that had just gone through like Series C funding, multi-billion dollar company. And that was an experience too that I think prepared me for this. So my, the management skills that I had been learning there for a while really helped out here. And now we're just building this team out and we have four people on the marketing team, not just one in the past few months. And just been learning a ton about what the process should be and, and how we should systematize everything and what we should be working on and how we focus on one idea instead of a million. Cause 
when you're when you're working at a company that is inherently creative because our tool is the creative tool there are so many ideas up in the air all the time and the the most impactful thing you can do is just laser focus on one or two of them and been really honing in on that what's really impressive about that is september was uh, what nine months ago and you're you're basically exp you've basically exponentially increased your audience personally as well as obviously tweeting on behalf of you know the work that you're doing at copy ai but talk to me about some of those early days because that's kind of where i'm at right now as well so there's kind of a selfish question here as well but also i'm sure a lot of the audience that want to build their presence on twitter i find there's a ton of great content at the under a thousand follower mark that doesn't really get the the type of the type of distribution like you were talking about but tell me about what types of things you were tweeting about back then when you decided to finally take it seriously in september of last year that's september 2020 and how has that changed yeah so when you're first starting out i think the biggest people the biggest mistake people make is that they think people care about them and they don't and that's kind of sad to hear maybe you don't want to hear that audience listener but yeah, nobody really cares about you, especially when you have a few followers. What they really care about is what you can do for them. So it's not like you're useless and nobody's ever gonna care about you. It's just that I, I had been trying a lot to get people to care about me and my life and things that were going on on Twitter before. And I realized that when you have no following, that stuff doesn't work because you haven't proven to other people that you care about them and that you wanna give them stuff to think about. and. So I, I shifted my mentality a little bit. It, it had always been generally about marketing and a little bit of design, a little bit of UX and stuff like that, but mostly marketing. And I decided I'm, I'm only going to talk about really helpful things that I wish people would have told me earlier on in my career or just things that I'm learning right now. And I'm only going to talk about specific, impactful, actionable things. So whether that's like a list of top things you can do uh, right now or playing a game with my audience where like, Hey, if you send your landing page in the comments, I'll give you one piece of advice. And I really tried to focus in on what I could do for the audience as much as possible, because I had to swallow my pride and realize like, nobody cares about this dude right now. Nobody cares about me, but if I can offer them value, then they can start caring about me. So the content looks different a little bit. Now I still do a lot of that and I've gotten more into threads and adapting to new formats and things like that, but I'm able to be myself a little bit more. So what I'm not saying, I'm not saying suppress your personality, but I'm just saying timetable wise, you have to be smart about it because if you just start talking about how much you love a band when you have two followers, and you're not even talking about like the music industry as your core niche, nobody's going to care about that. Obviously you're not going to grow. If you want to grow, give really helpful information out for free as much as you can. What are the things that you've learned that actually made a difference for you? Share that, get better at formatting that, get better at editing it down. So it's as short as humanly possible. The, the more you do that stuff, the more that you continue to grow. But also you're going to have thought, like you mentioned, I truly believe some of the best content is coming from smaller accounts because they truly care about that stuff. Whereas you start growing and growing and nobody thinks about this, but when you have a bigger account, everything kind of works for you. And that is, that kind of sucks. Honestly, <laughs> like when everything starts working, you can't tell as easily what really works and what's just because you, you have a good following and that's a dangerous place to be in. Whereas, when you have a smaller account and something does well, you can actually look at that and say, 
okay, here's why it did well. It was the topic, it was the format, it was the time that I posted, it was who I was talking to, et cetera. Like you can really come up with some key learnings there. Whereas when you get a bigger account, I don't think a lot of people are prepared for that fact that you can't measure that stuff as easily. Maybe you'll have some super viral tweets and you can glean some stuff from that, but usually tweets will just work for you. And that's a dangerous place to be. So if you think, if you think right now, oh, I wanna have 20,000 followers, I wanna have a big account, I wanna have a big audience. I would tell you that right now, the amount of followers that you have is perfectly suited to what you should have. And you should never think you deserve more. Just go out and earn it. Just go earn more by posting valuable content. Don't assume like, I think I'm a 50K account, but I only have 50 followers. You're not, you're a 50 follower account. That's what you deserve. And if you can just own that and then try to push to be better, you're gonna grow way better than if you think that you're amazing and you think everything you post is amazing. You have to look at it through a lens of what can I truly learn and how can I pick apart my content? And the way you describe it is almost an advantage, right? So having a smaller account at the start anyway, while you're still figuring out your voice, while you're still figuring out you know, your cadence and getting into the habit of posting often, it's really an audience where you can, uh, it's, it's really an advantage where you can experiment a ton and learn from, you know, all the mistakes that you make and so on. And I heard you say in between there that you've started getting into threads now. I think that's the understatement of the year because I, I, I've had multiple occasions when one evening and uh, I have like notifications set up for, for your tweets specifically. And multiple times in the yeah. evening, <laughs> I, I, I'll hear a bunch of dings when I'm out in the yard or something like that. And I know, okay, that's Blake. So I got to take like 10 minutes and read what he has to say. Because one of the, and I want to give the audience a taste for this, like about a day back or so, you posted this tweet, uh, a thread, which was basically the fact that you had audited over a hundred e-com websites and you posted 51 takeaways from 17 stores. And I've started to notice that, you know, some of those, just not only the volume of the experiences that you're starting to pull from some of these threads is, is increasing, but also the variety of this stuff uh, you're talking about, not only learnings from a marketing standpoint, but also just general learnings from, for, for, you know, entrepreneurs, for founders, etc. How do you think about this? Uh, so I want to know two things. One, how do you ideate around threads and what people might be interested in? And then secondly, how much time do you spend on this stuff? Yeah. So with threads, full disclosure, I tried writing a bunch of threads when I first started back in September and they didn't do well. And I'm, when I say they didn't do well, I obviously I was a much smaller account. I'm not saying that they just didn't do well compared to what I do now. I'm telling you, they got zero likes. Whereas other stuff that I would do would get five, 10 likes, 15 likes. So I knew that my threads were not good. And I was thinking to myself, how are people not liking this stuff? I thought it was really good. What I came to realize was formatting is really important for threads. So having a very concise way to display the information. And then you have, you basically have to decide, am I going to do a shorter thread or a longer thread? So I've been really going in on super obscenely long threads that should not be that long. I've, I've had a thread that's 200 and 280 tweets in the thread. And a lot of people got mad at me for it, but it did, it did really well. And I think that thread in particular helped a lot of people too. So like you, you have to measure, are, are you going to be known for sheer volume or depth in a shorter amount of tweets? They're both totally viable. What I think doesn't work super well for most people, especially if you have a smaller audience and you're trying to grow through using threads 
is like story threads. Like here's how I, um, you know, here's how I got my dream job. That kind of stuff can work just out of empathy or, or happiness for other people. But those usually aren't that interesting and I won't read them. What really works is skimmable information. And what that right. usually means is that every single tweet is kind of standalone and really actionable. So with my threads, you'll notice that it's like one core theme. So we're going through a hundred websites and we're going to see what they do well. I'm not going to focus on what they do well and what they do poorly, because then that's a separate thread and I'm adding too much in here. So your thread should really just answer one specific topic or question and nothing else and go very deep into that. And then the format matters a ton. So make it skimmable. If you're, as an example, talking about a hundred websites that you think are great, then show screenshots of them in every single tweet for every new website. And then just straight up say, here's the name of the website. Here are my takeaways. Here's the visual and actually organize it that way. So people can skim and scan the whole thread. If you don't do that, people won't read it because people don't actually read. They don't, if, unless you're reading a book, you aren't ever truly reading online. That's not how we think about things and how we read things online. You just skim and scan for headlines. So you have to create headlines in every single tweet. Another part is the hook. The first tweet is massively important. If your hook sucks, it's going to flop. Even if the content's amazing, that's just the fact of the matter. Uh, in terms of how to like come up with ideas, I don't know. I have a, I have a huge notion doc that I just keep a list of everything that I could possibly do. And then I try to harshly judge it and base it on, okay, this one's selected to be a potential thread in the future. This one's next up. I really like this or this one's totally rejected. And so I have a bunch in there that are archived and rejected because after sitting on it for a few days, I realized this is not going to be a great thread. And in the moment, every idea that comes to you seems good. That's, that's kind of just how we think. So I would say, give it 24 hours and revisit that idea and see if you actually still care about it. And if it's still interesting, that's usually, I wouldn't write a thread that you come up with the idea same day ever. Cause the next day it's just going to seem like a worse idea, no matter what it is. But a lot of it's just drawing on experiences. I have audited a lot of websites and I've already done a lot of that work. Now I need to compile it and distill the information. So just look at what you already have. Look at what you've already done. Can you communicate that to somebody else that hasn't done the same thing? That's going to be really valuable. And it's probably the best way to start. It's just focusing on stuff that you've already written or already done. Yeah, I think the the pause for 24 hours uh, is, is probably a really good takeaway for most of the audience that's listening out here and want to grow their audience. How much time do you spend on this stuff, Blake? Depends on the thread. Like the, so I, I did one where I highlighted female creators specifically because just a, just a PSA for everyone that didn't know, uh, Twitter is really white and a lot of people on Twitter look like me and are my gender. And I don't really like that. That's all that I see all the time. So for something like that, there are thousands of female creators that are way cooler than I am that need to be highlighted. So putting something together like that is, you know, that took me like three days to do. And that's not like working straight through three days, but a couple of hours every day for three days to be able to make that work, not just compiling everything and researching and adding my takeaways, but the formatting was a beast. It took, it took an entire day just to format that. And so that one took a long time. Some of these other ones where I only go through 20 different tweets, you know, I could probably get through it in about an hour. And again, the reason that I can do that is because I've been creating content for seven years. So 
you're not you should not expect if you're writing your first thread don't expect that you're going to get through it in an hour and it's going to be amazing because it won't if you write something in an hour it will be terrible you can still publish it and you'll learn stuff and i actually do encourage that but don't expect that it's going to be amazing if you do that it'll probably take a longer time so Honestly, what I usually recommend before just going all in on threads is trying to write short tweets pretty often as much as you possibly can and start figuring out the topics that people seem to engage with and care about in your audience first. And then you can start thinking about longer form content you want to actually make after that. Yeah, that, that's great advice. Let, let's pivot a bit to uh, talking about your journey at Copy AI and first time CMO. Anytime you're presented with this kind of a greenfield opportunity, there's just so much potential and so many things that you could focus on or that you could choose to work on. How did you decide what to go after first? And talk to me about hiring those first four people on your team. What has that experience been like? Yeah, we wanted to take an unconventional approach and go all in on community. So community and content creation is kind of the name of the game for us. We are technically a content creation company with what we do. And I think it's really important that we walk the walk and talk the talk, both of those things. So yeah, content creation in the form of video is huge. And so we hired a video person, we hired a community person to lead community. And now we have a lifecycle marker on board to help with customer communication. So some of the core priorities that have been really clear up front is products got to improve con continuously. Like that's the same for any startup, but also on the marketing side, we need to improve activation and retention. And we are kind of creating a category, which means that there's no education out there that people already have instilled in them to just use the tools intuitively, even though the tools are very easy to use, there is a certain level of education that needs to go into how this works and is this safe and what's the technology behind it and, and all that stuff. So for me, like, that, that was really crucial to bring people on board that could educate customers, engage with them, activate them, retain them, but also start worrying about this content that we need to be creating. And so that's, that's been the focus of the marketing department through the first few months. But quite honestly, the first month or two, I didn't have anybody else on the team but me. And it was basically just a lot of admin getting things set up making sure that we had processes in place for everything that needed to happen when other people did come on board. And then we started hiring. So I felt like the first little while my job wasn't even super, in, it wasn't a lot of marketing, to be honest. It was a lot of team setup and, and all that stuff. And I think one of the things that you do really well is at least I've, I've heard you say this a couple of times, you embrace sort of writing as a way of life and a way of work. What are some, some tips that you would give people that want to start writing? Is it starting with a journal? Is it starting to, you know, write there while they're looking to like create a presentation or something like that, write down their thoughts first, et cetera. Has it, how has it helped you and how do you advise people go about it? Yeah, I think you you start out with where you're already at. So if you're right, if, if you're like working in an agency and you write tons of ads, just try writing some ads, maybe get comfortable with the tools by writing things you're already comfortable with. If you're really good at writing email subject lines, then actually there's a tool for that in copy AI. So you should try to write more email subject lines with the tool just to see how well it compares and what you like about it and, and all that and how, how to put really good inputs in so you get better outputs. I would start with what you know, and then you can dive into tools where you actually do need extra help. And, and that can be 
a, a pretty good workflow for doing that. You can certainly dive into whatever tool you want though. It's fairly intuitive and it's, it's easy to just say, okay, I don't know anything about landing pages, but I know that I need to have a headline for this landing page. I'm going to try it out. So you type in what your product does and it'll give you a good headline. Uh, well, multiple, it'll give you tons of results for, for headlines that you can use. And so there's no wrong way to go about it. Really the wrong way to go about it is just not starting. So within the tools, just get in there and try things out and you'll learn pretty quickly how things work, how to use the tools, how not to use the tools, et cetera. And another thing that I've mentioned here as well is don't be scared to patch the tools together. So if you're writing a, a full email, yeah, you'll start with the subject line maybe, but take the other ideas that you had for an outline for that email and start writing the actual copy, uh, right? You can use the short text tool to write the first line of the email to hook people in. You can use the bullet point to paragraph tool to basically write the paragraphs of the email. You can use all these different tools to, and then like a conclusion you can write with tools and all that stuff. So I would just use the tools and patch them together and you can create this workflow. And that's, that's kind of where this is really helping you achieve a very specific task from A to B, start to finish. You can do the whole thing and be able to write everything you need. And as this landscape from a copy AI standpoint starts to grow where you have more AI enabled tools that not only help with copy, but also, you know, other types of things and, and exclu exclusively uh, tools that rely on, on technology like GPT-3 and so on. How are you guys thinking about differentiation? I'd argue, you know, community is a big part of it, but is there something more that you're also actively thinking about when you think about the company's growth trajectory? Yeah, there's some different modes that we have in mind. So obviously our community is going to be a huge one. The content that we're able to create to educate people, not only about our tools, but about AI in general and what the future of work really looks like is going to be a differentiator. Our team is a clear differentiator. And when I say team, not just employees, but also our investment partners and all that, everybody is awesome to work with. And I think it's a true differentiator. But like you mentioned, there's so much more coming and we are willing to innovate very rapidly and we will. And anytime something new is going to come up, that's going to be beneficial to customers. We're going to build that because we want that for ourselves. We, we want a more creative world. So really what the, the core differentiator ultimately is that we care about innovation more than I think any company on the planet. I think, I think that we care more about not just the next best thing, but the next helpful thing more than just about anybody out there. And that's what we're going to keep building upon. And I love you uh, that you said, you know, your clear differentiator is that you care more than other companies. Cause I mean, I have a couple of experiences where I've seen companies start and when they start, you're like wondering how, how exactly are they going to differentiate themselves? One example clearly that comes to mind is, is Unsplash, right? The, 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 the resource for freely usable images and so on. And when, when it came out, it was kind of really weird for me. Cause I was like, okay, photographers are going to submit their photos and this is going to be a distribution channel, but how do these guys actually make money? How do they set up a company around this? And then slowly you start them, uh, you start to see them developing like a blog. Then you start to see them getting embedded in other tools. Then you start to see them, you know, come up with other things like, you know, allowing their content creators. So the photographers to create their own brands on their platform, et cetera, and then monetizing it and so on. So there's, there's a lot of things that you could really do when you 
care about a particular space and care more about it than anyone else on the planet. So I really like that you said that. As you're going about hiring and growing the team, is there are there specific practices that you guys have put in place for for hiring and or bringing people on board that you feel a, a budding entrepreneur out there or someone that's just started out might benefit from? Yeah, we have a clear process for what our interviews look like. We're really refining that because we, I think we're at 12 people now in the whole company. So we've, we've only done it a dozen times, but the process is getting better every single time. So we have clearly defined processes for what hiring looks like, sourcing. One of the core benefits that I tell people, if you're looking for a job, like it, whether it's a copy or any, any tech company, really build in public right now, show what you're learning, document it, build something cool. It doesn't actually have to make you money. It just needs to be there so people can see what you're doing. When you build in public, it easily takes like two interviews off of the job process, off the application process for me. If I can see that you know what you're talking about and that you can build what you're talking about, to me, that answers so many questions that I never even have to ask. And it's massively beneficial. And I can focus more on culture fit. And if this is right for us, if it's right for you, I can focus more on game planning, what the role should actually look like for you. If you were in this role, it allows me to, as a manager to get more specific with the hiring. If I just can see that you have chops right off the bat and I can see what you're building, that is a massive benefit. So anybody listening, looking for a job, build in public, build, build a side project, share what you're learning, share what you're not learning, share what's failing and what's succeeding and just put the stuff that you're building out there and Good things will happen. Uh, I can't promise like when or how quickly, but good things happen to those that build. And as you're talking about building in public, you've recently started to share some of the stuff that that you're building as well, right? Since, since September, but also specific to Copy AI, you've come out with you know Twitter MBA, and you seem to know a few th one or two things about creating courses. So tell us a little bit about Float, what what the product um, is, and what what have what has your journey been like building the first few courses that you did after coming on board at Copy? So when I I, I launched a course called High Performance Landing Pages in January, and right. I built the whole thing in Notion. And that's where it was. I hosted it on Super, which basically just takes your Notion page and makes it into a website. And I saw a few things that were really cool there, but there were a lot of things that didn't necessarily work. Namely, I couldn't get paid for it because it was just a landing page. So anybody with the link could get there. There was no payment gate. There was no formatting specific to a course. It was just a notion doc. I couldn't track my progress as a student. I couldn't really get feedback as a creator of the course. And there was all this stuff. So I looked at other platforms that maybe I wanted to move to that had all those features. And then I kind of stumbled upon a problem there, which is I was giving that course away for free. I was not looking to monetize that. I just wanted to give away free, good information. But all of those other platforms were like $80 a month for the right. plan that I would need. Right. That's pretty unreasonable if I'm selling a free product. And so I was trying to grapple with, or I was grappling with like, what do I do? Do I keep it in Notion, but, but not be able to give a good experience to my students? Do I move it over to some other platform that costs way too much? And then I have to learn a whole new system and how to build the whole thing. And I have to copy and paste all my notes over. And it was just a really tough decision. So ultimately I kept it in Notion, but I kind of vowed that I would build something to fix that problem. So 
I, I sat on it for like two months because I didn't know how to build it myself until finally I, I worked, I started working at copy AI and found my co-founder Zach, who also works at copy AI. And we started building this together over the past couple months. And now we have this product called float that'll be launching towards the end of this month officially. And basically what it does is you're already taking your notes in notion. It translates them instantly into a course and gives you all the functions that you need to track your sales and customers and analytics, let the student have a great experience in terms of marking their progress, giving feedback on every single module. It's a really seamless transition uh, there. And so that that's simply what it is. And it, more than anything, it's just something that I wanted. And thankfully, a lot of people in my community have expressed that they truly want this as well. So that's working out, but it's, it's more so just uh, one of those classic solving a problem that the founder has type of products and we'll see how it goes when it launches. I got to say, uh, this sounds really interesting because I mean, you're obviously scratching your own itch and coming up with a product that, that you would use, but the types of things that you were talking about in terms of, you know, course progress and feedback and, and so on, these are things that, you know, a company that's probably using notion for their knowledge base and other documentation would jump on for coursework where otherwise they're, you know, paying a separate solution to, to, you know, handle all of their e-learning and university type, type mm -hmm. engagements. Right. So uh, I think it's, it's, it sounds like something, again, I haven't seen the product, but it sounds like something that has a lot of potential. When is this coming out and is it out already? The, so the wait list is out. If you go to float.so, mm -hmm. you can sign up for the wait list. We have about almost 1700 people on the list now for that. We've done a bunch of demos. So if you go to YouTube, you can go visit Marie Poulin's channel and you can see a full demo that I gave of the product there. It won't officially be live for everybody on the wait list and beyond until the end of this month. I don't have an exact date for that, but hopefully sooner than later, it's only going to be a few weeks now. Uh, people have been very patient and I appreciate all the people blowing up my DMs saying, when is this going to be done? I hear you. I want to get it done too. Cause I want to start using it, but yeah, that that'll be soon. But in the meantime, just go on YouTube and search for a demo. You'll be able to find one and see what it's all about. Also, the cool thing about Float is it takes what you've already done and instantly translates it and formats it into a full, fully operational course. So you don't have to you don't have to put off building your course right now. You can actually build the entire thing, and then when Float launches, you can launch the full course that same day. So if you're trying to be proactive, if you're really itching to get in there build the whole course, get everything set up because then on day one, when it launches, you could have your course set up and start collecting payments. That's amazing. What are some, some final thoughts that you would like to leave uh, budding entrepreneurs with people that are looking to use tools like copy AI to up their game, people that are looking to create courses and, and just embed themselves into a particular, uh, particular space. Cause the, and the reason I asked this uh, is I think you have so much to share, uh, with people and so much that people can learn by just observing the things that, that you're doing on Twitter and otherwise. And, uh, to an extent, everyone's out there trying to find their audience and find the water cooler, but you kind of created the water cooler, right? So it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of our audience could learn from. So any final tips or thoughts that, that you want to, that you want to focus on? I would say that th this is counterintuitive to what I should be saying here, but don't expect a tool to make you a more amazing person. The tools are cool. They'll help you copy. AI can help you do a lot more than you're currently doing. 
uh, can help you get from zero to one, one to 10, et cetera. Float is going to help you help make it easier to create courses and all that stuff. Like I wouldn't be building this stuff if I didn't believe in it and think that it had value, but ultimately the true most, the deepest value is in you, the person. And if you're not making the most out of what you're doing right now, no tool is going to magically make that better. So if you're trying to create content, trying to find your audience, trying to build a new product, whatever it is, focus on what you can do and what you can control and get better at those things. And yes, use tools to assist you, but don't use them as a crutch. They, they aren't there to make you magically amazing. It's not going to happen. You have to make yourself magically amazing by testing a lot of stuff. And this goes back to this idea that I, I truly believe in building an audience, content creation is obviously the best way to build an audience and giving away free knowledge and, and all that stuff. Honestly, the best way to go about it is to let your quantity of content lead to quality of content and not expect yourself to be perfect right off the bat. So if you want to be on Twitter or if you want to be on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever you want to create content, create an obscene amount of content to the point where people start saying, why are you posting this much? It's annoying. Do that. Post as much as you possibly can so that you can learn what works and what doesn't and what people actually care about and stop relying on what you think, but let data dictate what people actually care about. Then start leaning more in that direction and adapting and adapting and adapting every single day. Let that quantity lead to quality because your first tweets, you could, you could tweet 30 times a day. All 30 of them will be bad if it's your first time on Twitter, probably. That's okay. Just keep doing it every single day. And eventually 15 of those tweets are okay. And then eventually 20 of those tweets are like pretty good. And you start getting better and better and better at analyzing those patterns and what truly works. But you're never going to know what a good tweet or what a good Instagram post actually looks like until you do a lot of bad ones. So don't be scared to do that. And, and don't use tools as a crutch, but just as kind of a, a supplement is probably the healthiest way to look at that. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably all I'd say. Blake, I really enjoyed our conversation today. And, and true to form, I took away so many actionable insights that I can readily go back and start working on. Thank you so much for taking the time. Why don't you hand, hand our audience off to where you would like them to reach out if they have any questions, where they can learn more about you, et cetera? Yeah, thanks for having me on. You can find me on Twitter at HeyBlake. My DMs are always open. So if you ever want to talk, give me a joke, whatever, um, DMs are open. Feel free to reach out. You can also check out Copy AI if you want to create more content, but you feel like you don't have as much time as you'd like. That tool can help you do more of what you're already doing. And you can check out Float at float.so if you're a course creator and you want to monetize that knowledge that you have. This is a really great way to do that. Other than that, I've got so many different things that I can mention here, but I'll just keep it there because I want to try to focus just a tiny bit. Awesome, Blake. Thank you once again. Appreciate it. All right, that was the show. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed it and got a ton out of it. If you did, there are two things you need to do. Number one, make sure you subscribe to the show to get notified when a new no-code story drops. And number two, I want to ask you a favor. Who's the one person you know who would absolutely benefit from hearing this story? Text them right now and send them to mynocodestory.com and reference this episode. 
Maybe they're an entrepreneur. Maybe they can use this episode to level up at their job. Or maybe they're just someone who loves creating new things. Do it. Subscribe and then send them the text. Make a difference. Thanks again. And I'll see you on the next one.